What's yeah, happening, Joey? What's happening, everybody in podcast world? <laughs> <laughs> we are we are already in Sunday night form <laughs> after Thanksgiving. Everybody's still trying to digest from Thursday. <laughs> you are tuned in to the Coach and the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank, and I'm joined by my son Lance Gardner, also proprietor of Yes Trees. We gotta get that plug in every chance we get, man. We're gonna make you some money. <laughs> from now until indefinitely. That's what's up. And we got the super producer, Lloyd Leon Cook. If you are just tuning in for the first time, we are a Timberwolves-centric podcast in which we talk about the hometown Timberwolves, but also some other basketball stuff and other things going on in the community. It's just what we do. A little bit of everything here. I apologize to the listeners in advance if I sound a little congested. The seasons are changing. I have cats in my household, and so I'm congested. But uh, we're going to get through it, talk about the week that was for the Minnesota Timberwolves, including right now, as we speak, they're up 90 to 66 on the woebegotten, injured, suspended, uh, downtrodden Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis. Uh, take them when we can get them. What's going down, Lance? What's up? Yeah, it was a good, good week. Uh, got to do some Thanksgiving stuff, see some family. Um, got a lot of work done, and, and it is Sunday, and I'm ready to talk some hoops with you. That's what's up. Well, did you get a chance to watch some hoops within all of that? I did. I got a chance to see the good and the bad and the ugly of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I think we're starting to see some trends yeah, um, and some things that we're growing accustomed to and also uh, some concerns. And so I think that uh, we'll bring that snippet back and we'll have something to talk about because – um, it, you know, as we get further and further into the season, you're starting to see things that, you know, on a day, uh, night in and night out basis are really, um, you know, sticking out and things that we, you know, now need to find ways to fix. Yep. And, you know, and I think fix is kind of a uh, relative term when you're talking about the length of an 82 game season, um, I think is a constant tweaking of things as the season goes on. One of the things I think that we can pretty much say is that the Wolves um, have established what their winning style is going to be. And teams have started to establish what they're going to do to counteract that style. And by the time we get to the Sacramento Kings game, I think we'll be able to talk a little bit at length about um, what Sacramento did, but also what the Wolves um, didn't do in terms of the outcome of that game. Uh, but I definitely think that we're starting to see um, the style within the identity, right? We know the identity is going to be defense, and we're seeing that the style is going to be defense with length, length defense with size, um, but also uh, some things that help that defense uh, when it's at its best is possession control. And uh, that's where they're starting to slip a little bit. But I digress. Uh, the New York Knicks, man, last Monday, uh, November 20th, for those of us keeping track, uh, the Wolves finish finish off the Knicks with the 117 to 100 victory, uh, a game in which I believe uh, the Knicks were winding down a long road trip so much like the Wolves were able to eke out a win at their fifth game of a long road trip against the Pelicans, uh, the Knicks came into Target Center and Target Center was rocking. 
And the Wolves played probably one of their more efficient team games of the season in terms of balance scoring, um, 30 assists to only 13 turnovers, um, 51% shooting from the field, uh, 75% from the line, which we'd love to see that tick up just slightly, but that's not horrible. Uh, Committed a few more fouls than maybe they had been doing earlier this season. It was a rough and rugged game. You can expect that when you're playing a Tom Thibodeau coach team. But I think overall, you know, the balance that the Wolves show was seven guys and uh, six guys in double figures was six or seven, six guys in double figures and 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 Kyle Anderson with nine points there. So very easily could have been a seven. Uh, Everybody that played scored uh, in that game. Or yeah, almost everybody that played scored in that game. So yeah, your thoughts on the Knicks game? Yeah, it was very much so a team effort. Um, and yeah, like you said, the Knicks were coming in, and um, I think it was like their fifth game. Uh, their I believe it was their fifth. They ended up three and two on the road. Um, and they were full. I mean, they, they were full health. They had their entire team, which is something that the Wolves have gotten a little. Uh, lucky with at the beginning of the year here not having to play every single team at full strength but the Knicks yeah. were um, and so as we talked about before five games on the road that fifth game your legs can be a little tired um, especially when you're going up you know at the time the Wolves were the top in the West so um, you know it's, it was no easy task and the, the Knicks came in and the Wolves once again took care of business um, and, and very much a team effort and it, it looked good the 30 assist is uh, that's a beautiful number that really lets you know that guys are sharing the ball and being unselfish, and it showed in the numbers. And um, guys were doing, you know, they were knocking down shots. 32% from three could be a little bit better, but um, 50% from the field as well. So, yeah, overall it, it was a good game, and, and they, you know, pulled out another W. Yeah. Um, I, You know, not really a whole lot to say about that game. I thought it was fairly clean. Um I think that, um, you know, the the one thing that really has been a concern of late and, and it showed in that game, not necessarily in terms of the second chance points, but the number of offensive rebounds, the Knicks out-rebounded the Wolves 50-44. to 44. They had 17 offensive rebounds in that game. Uh, that's the game that Jaden McDaniels uh, twisted his ankle. And so you can't really blame him, but you know, per per his uh per his direction, in his five minutes he had already had a rebound. So we might be ready to get, you know, a six seven Jaden rebound, uh six seven rebound game from Jaden McDaniels, and that might have made a little bit of a difference. But the seventeen offensive rebounds, again, the culprit, even though Mitchell Robinson is, I think, leading the NBA in all offensive rebounds and the Knicks are one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the league. Um to me, that would have been a perfect game for the for the Wolves to go and make a statement that they're going to nip this rebounding thing in the bud. Uh, uh, it just did not happen. They, and again, a lot of it seems to be the long rebounds. It's the inability of the guards and wings to track the ball and then put a body on a guy. Or I would put that in the correct order. Put a body on a guy and then track the ball. And for our listeners... You know, it seems like such a, a fundamental remedial thing, right? Because all of us that don't have NBA athleticism, 
have that had played any basketball from elementary to junior high to high school. We were all taught to box out. We were all taught when the shot goes up, you locate a man, you hit first, you keep put a body on him, you keep your feet moving, you keep him out of the painted area. Or if you're a guard, you know, you 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 go toward the perimeter player when the shot goes up, make sure they're not crashing. If they are crashing, you hit them and you get to the elbow area, tracking the ball with your eyes. We've all been taught that. It seems so remedial, basic fundamentals. However, you know who who the guys are that don't focus on that? The guys that we all played with, that we all marveled at because they were otherworldly athletic, and they would just get rebounds that seemed like they were dropped out of outer space. And yep. those guys never boxed out. And they always looked good on the boards because they just jumped over everybody and got every rebound. Well, guess what's in the NBA? <laughs> A whole bunch of guys that never had to box out. And in part, it's a coaching thing because, you know, the coaches have to make it a priority. But at the same time, Chris Finch talked about it, how it just has not been a priority for the players, clearly, because they won't fix it. And he's talked about the give a shit factor. And that's something that you have to care about. You have to decide as a team, we are tired of other teams getting, you know, 16, 17, 18 extra shots because not because the ball is just bouncing their way, but because we literally refuse to go and put a body on somebody. Yep. And, you know, to add on to a culprit of why that might be the case, when you have two seven footers, one over seven feet standing down there in the paint mentally, you're, you're kind of expecting them to get most rebounds. And so you then, you know, put your put your effort to the side, just even sometimes subconsciously because you know these guys. I mean, Rudy's averaging, I think, 13 rebounds a game, catch somewhere in the eight, I think, eight, nine range. And, um, you know, when, when you know you have two seven-footers down there, it's, it's it can be tough to go rebound, and that's where you were just saying the give-a-shit factor. Um, you have to actually make a conscious effort to go and do that instead of just letting your natural instinct of, oh, someone else has got it, kick in. And I would buy that if the head coach hasn't consistently said it's the guards and the forwards. I would buy that if the head coach hadn't consistently said we were last in the entire NBA in uh, long rebounding percentage and getting to long rebounds and one of the worst teams in the entire league in getting the loose balls. So I would buy that. It's difficult um, because you of the size that you have. If it hadn't has not been such a point of emphasis by Chris Finch um, in the media, in the post game, you know it is in the in the in the film sessions. So I just I, I refuse to let them off the hook by saying something like you know it's hard because they're used because of what they have down there because that's not where the problem lies the problem lies in the lack of willingness from the guards and wings to put a body on somebody and track the ball with their feet you know we do a drill in our practices um it's a shooting drill but in the shooting drill there's always two rebounders for this particular shooting drill and I try to tell my players, 
If there's two people rebounding the ball, it should never hit the floor. You should be tracking the ball and anticipating if it's going to bounce long, if it's going to bounce short, if it's going to go in, you should be ready to catch it out the net. And all I'm trying to do is get our players in the mindset of don't stand and wait to see what the ball is going to do. Start moving to where you think the ball is going to come down based off of the flight of the ball. Track the ball with your feet. And, you know, when you know you're going to force teams to shoot 30 plus three point shots a game, because one, that's where the NBA is these days. But two, how many times have we seen teams drive into the basket and see Rudy and slam on the brakes and make a U-turn and throw the ball out? So you know that your team dynamic is going to force a lot of three-point shots. You can't be standing and watching and waiting to see what the ball is going to do after it hits the rim. These are NBA players. They pretty much know by the flight of a ball what it's going to do before it hits the rim. There's just no excuse for it. And and I, you know, maybe maybe you might, may have misunderstood a little bit of what I was saying, but I was I'm coming from a player's aspect of I've been in situations where I mentally, I know I've got two guys down there that are going to grab rebounds. So I have to, I have to break that barrier thinking of, right. I have to, you know, oh, they've got it taken care of. I don't have to go get this rebound. When in actuality, like, like I was saying, and like you said, Chris, Chris Finch had mentioned giving a, giving a ish and you have to, you have to like consciously every shot break down the fact that, yeah, they may get the rebound. They're probably going to get a lot of rebounds, but I still need to go down there. And so, yes, they, I'm, I'm holding the guards accountable as well. I just know from a player's you know point of view that having two seven-footers down there can make it harder for me to think I have to go rebound. Right. And, and I agree with that. And, and I guess, again, where my issue is, is that they don't even have to go down there. Right. The rebounds they're not getting are the ones that are bouncing over Cat and Rudy's head. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. that and that's I guess my overall issue is you don't even have to go down there and get deep in the paint. Get to the foul line area if it's a shot right. from anywhere above the break straight on. Get to the foul line area opposite side of where the shot's taken from if it's on the wing. Get, you know, get into the areas where the ball is likely to come down. And more importantly, don't just turn and walk toward the paint when the shot goes up. The first thing you have to do is check off your man. Mm-hmm. You can't just turn to see if it's going in or not. You got to check off your man because if your man's crashing, you got to hit him. Yep. And you won't know if he's crashing or not if the first thing you do when the shot goes up is you turn around and stand still and watch the ball. Right. Did you they – uh in the Sixers game, did they do any better of a job of rebounding then? I know no. they came with the W again. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's and that's and it's gonna and, and and we're gonna get to where it becomes a problem as we move through the week. But in the Sixers game, they gave up another seventeen offensive rebounds. They were only out rebounded forty nine to forty seven. They only gave up ninety nine points. Imagine how, imagine how many points the Sixers score. Because you gave up 17 offensive rebounds to a team without Joel Embiid. So, again, what does that tell you where the rebounds are coming down? Who's getting the rebound? In the mid-range. You know, um, the Sixers took 32 three-point attempts and only made seven. So that tells you right then and there 
where the offensive rebounds are coming down. That's 25 missed three-point shots, and they gave up 17 offensive rebounds. I'm willing to bet that out of those 17 offensive rebounds, at least 10 of them, if not more, were of the long variety. I'm looking up right now the stats for where the Timberwolves rank and and giving up offensive rebounds. Um, but with with the Sixers, you know, again another unhealthy team. Um, well, I shouldn't say completely unhealthy, but without their All Star superstar, um, and they were able to again. They're they're the Wolves. The Wolves have so much talent that, like I said at the beginning of the year, that there's games that they should just win straight out based off of their talent. And when teams are missing their superstars and, um. You know, the, the Wolves are in a position where those should be W's and they're not always going to be pretty, but they have enough talent to find a way to win. And they did that again um, with the 76ers. Yeah. And, and and they kept their turnovers down that game. They only had 11. Again, 28 assists. Um, so good things uh, against the 76ers. Another game in which they had, you know, five guys in double figures uh, and then two more guys with seven. Um, they held the 76ers below 100 points. The f- three-point shooting was helpful in that. The fact that 76ers were on the second night of a back-to-back in which they traveled and lost an hour due to um, due to the time zone change. Um, you know, so that I think definitely helped. But their defensive intensity to start the game, I think they came out with the mindset of we're not going to let Maxi get it going um, uh, because – that they knew that he was the only guy that Philadelphia had out there that could really probably keep them in the game by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought Cat did a wonderful job on Tobias Harris as well. Um and and so, you know, I think 76ers came out small. I thought I think they felt like they could, you know, generate energy and tempo by playing small against the Wolves since MB didn't play. And much to the Wolves' credit, they smashed that small ball stuff. You know, yeah. but they did not, they didn't give up a lot of second chance points against the 76ers as well, even though they gave up some of the offensive rebounds. So that definitely helped their cause, but they didn't turn the ball over. And when a team's playing small, if you don't turn the ball over, you're not feeling their fast breaks. If you're not feeling their, fa- feeling their fast breaks, it's difficult for them to overcome their lack of size if they can't get out in the open court run. And so I think that was a big factor um, along with, again, the rest. And and we talked about this last podcast. These games where guys are sitting out uh, because it's the second half of a back-to-back or guys are injured where where these elite-level teams are not playing at full strength, you got to get every one of those you can. And I think that's a big reason why the Wolves are in first place right now is Mm -hmm. because they're getting every one of those games. Now they've just let – Memphis cut a 25-point lead down to 12, still with six-plus minutes to go. So they got to get it together here um, because this is not a game you can be afford to drop if you're serious, especially when you're going into the fourth quarter with a 20-point lead. You got to right. put this away. So the, the Wolves right now are fourth worst in the NBA in offensive rebounds per game, giving up 11-and-a-half um, offensive rebounds per game, and that's – 
You, there's no way, there's no way that you have Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns on your team um, with a Jaden McDaniels who's missed the last couple games, but is also who is six ten and and should be getting rebounds much more than he has been, which is something we've talked about. Um, but having those two guys plus a potential third and Jaden McDaniels and your fourth worst in the NBA in offensive rebounds, what you know that is a clear and you know um, concise. Of the lack of activity on the boards and for loose balls from the guards. That's what it right. is. And I think and, Rudy is number one in the league in rebounding or close to it. Yeah, he's first or second. Yeah. And and these, you know, just wrapping it back up, the these are the Timberwolves force a lot of three pointers, a lot, a lot of long shots. And yeah. when you're doing that, like you've stated multiple times already, you're going to get long rebounds, and Rudy and Cat cannot get those rebounds, and so that's why our percentage of offensive rebounds is so high because of exactly what you're saying. Our guards are not going to get these long rebounds after these threes are getting put up, um, which is then leading, as we've already talked about, to more possessions, more points for the other team, um, and being fourth worst in the NBA in that ca- category is not a place you want to be, especially if you're talking championship because all every possession matters. Yeah, I, I just I want to I, I go off off subject off script a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a stupid shot, but uh, the Wolves just had a possession in, in which Rudy got an incredible offensive rebound and then kicked it out. Ant pump fakes the guy flies by. He easily could have shot the three. He passed it up, kicked it over to Cat, who was even more wide open and standing still. He easily could have shot it. He passed it up, and he passed it up to Mike Conley for a standstill three-point shot in the corner. And, you know, that was peak-level unselfishness from your superstars. Mm-hmm. I mean, peak-level. Um, and they've gotten the lead back up to 18 with four to go, so they had to really collapse in order to blow this lead. But I just I saw that possession, and I'm like, you know, more of that, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it especially, you know, it's good. At, and I'm not watching the game right now, but it sounds like timing-wise, you know, they cut the lead. They did have a big lead. They were getting it cut. And instead of them deciding to go iso ball, they reverted back to what has worked for them this far, and that's keeping everybody involved and being unselfish. So it's good to see that. Yeah, Chris Finch called a timeout. You know, people always say he doesn't call timeouts. And when it got to 12, he called a timeout. Out of the timeout, they run a beautiful set and get a wide-open three-pointer by Nikhil Alexander-Walker. The next put a trip down court, they get another three-pointer, uh, get it back up to 20. But Memphis isn't going away. Um, other thing that we talked about that was actually a concerning trend, or, uh, yeah, a concerning trend that we've discussed over the past probably three, four weeks is turnovers, and we talked yep. a little bit about it just now, but they are also fourth worst in the NBA in turnovers per game. Yep. Um, and so <laughs> offensive rebounding and turnovers are two of the most fundamental things that you have to have locked down to win basketball games. And the fact that they are 11-3 and three right now without um, – with being fourth worst in the two, probably two most fundamental things in basketball um, should let you know just how talented this team is. Yeah, and, and how and how much better they can be once they, again, as they settle into their style and get into the rhythm of ball control uh, and, and get into the rhythm of tracking down these long rebounds, 
you know, once 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 they get there, it's gonna be something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's I I feel like there's not a lot of teams if we look back, and this is just me going off of my own thoughts, no facts or stats behind it, but um, looking back, and a lot of teams that were uh, top of their conference were probably not worst four in the league in those two categories. Um, no, and so <laughs> no, no, and 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 it's been the bugaboo for this team, and um, it does again. These are, I think, in some ways, and Ant's been pretty decent at rebounding, so we definitely can't, you know, say it's Ant completely. Um, but it's just the consistency, you know, for for all of their perimeter players, the consistency of tracking down those loose rebounds and loose balls against teams with speed and athleticism that are going to try to play to that. Teams with speed and athleticism that are going to say, okay, where are areas we can beat this team? We can beat this team with offensive rebounds. You know, we can beat this team with uh, tempo, getting up and down the floor. Those are areas that, you know, teams can identify that we can win the game. Okay, so we get to Sacramento, and both of those things that you just talked about for me were key factors on why the Wolves were not able to pull out that W. Um, so they lost to Sacramento on Friday, one twenty-four to one eleven, in their uh, third NBA in-season tournament game. Um, and my my synopsis from this game is that they were just getting bullied. Um, I feel like Sacramento came out. Uh, very aggressive with with some real intent, and the Wolves were kind of still riding their wave of the last few games of not having to play teams at full strength, um, feeling like they can turn on a switch in the last quarter, even uh, less than um, turning on a switch in the last six or seven minutes. Um, and Sacramento came in here, and they I felt like they were on a mission, and they – just beat the Wolves down. They were more physical. They had more intent. Um, and yes, they did make more shots. Um, but I, I, the whole time I was watching the game, I was just telling my wife that the Wolves just are getting bullied. Um, and that's that's how I felt. I felt like they didn't match their intensity. Second half, Anthony Edwards tried to do what he could to to get his team and himself um, back on the right track, and he came out hot after they had cut the lead down to I think seven going into half. Um, but the Sacramento was just a little bit too much for them to handle, and it's tough. I mean, they were down 25, I think, halfway through the second quarter, um, and a team like that is in in an in-season tournament game like that is not a team that you want to be down that far by because um, to get back, you have to almost play perfect, and they have to let it slip. Yeah, I think Sacramento came out and hit them in the mouth. I mean, that's you know that's the best way to say it. They came out in the first quarter, hit them in the mouth, uh, and then just kept swinging. Uh, Chris Finch talked about how they got out in transition really early. The Timberwolves were not uh, ready to get back and get matched up in transition from the beginning of the game. Sacramento came out ripping and running out the gate, and then guys got to seeing the ball go in the basket easily. And when NBA players see the ball go in the basket easily early, it's gonna be a long night, and that's exactly what happened. You know, Sacramento shot forty nine percent from three, which is, 
you know, that's almost 49% from the field is a good shooting day for a team. 49% from the three point line is, uh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, so, no, they, they look very 30, comfortable. 35 attempts, no less. Yeah, they were, they were jacking, but they look comf- comfortable and confident doing it. Um, and that's where I think that, you know, punch in the mouth comes. It didn't look like at any point the Wolves made them uncomfortable or, um, put them on their heels. It seemed like they were just attacking and aggressive the entire game. That was one of my notes. Uh, one of my in-game notes was that they're doing nothing to make Sacramento uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I think Sacramento had 14 offensive rebounds, again, to the Timberwolves 10. Uh, but I believe they had 22 or 24 second-chance points. So that tells you a lot of those offensive rebounds were turning into buckets or turning into three-point shots. And that's what didn't happen against Philadelphia and New York. They gave up even more offensive rebounds against Philadelphia and New York, but they weren't converted into points. Uh, Sacramento converted those offensive rebounds into points. Parlay that with 18 turnovers, and it's a recipe for disaster, right? And then still on top of all of that, they lost the game by 13 points. They were minus 15 at the three-point line. So, you know, as, as bad as it looked, and it did look bad, especially early in the game. Um, and then again, it looked bad late after Sacramento, after the Wolves expended all that energy, getting that lead down to two or four, or whatever it was. And then there was the play where the ball swings to Anthony Edwards and he's out of bounds, according to the official on the sideline. Um, and he made the three, which I think would have cut it to one or maybe even given the Wolves a lead. I can't remember if they were down two or four at that point in time, but it just seemed like after that possession, Sacramento comes down, gets a bucket. I feel like the Wolves came down, took a bad shot. Um, and then Sacramento comes down, gets an offensive rebound and another bucket, and it's just lights out from there. Um, you know, and, and you say for as bad as they play, and this was my comment on Twitter after the game, was Sacramento mostly played really good, and the Wolves mostly did not. And there was a stretch where Sacramento played some pretty ugly basketball, some of that being forced by the Wolves and some of that just being Sacramento getting sloppy. Um, but other than that, other than that small stretch of the game, I'd say for 90% of the game, Sacramento played really well. I would say the Wolves played well for maybe 50, 55% of the game. So it just, you know, you can't you can't give up, you know, 17 three-pointers. And I think they had 11 of them in the first quarter almost, or eight of them in the first quarter, 11 of them in the first half. And then also you know, turn the ball over 18 times, give up 14 offensive rebounds and a ton of second chance points. The possession game, which I always watch, and you got to keep in mind that the possession game is a skewed, you know, the field goal percentage possession game is a skewed because the Wolves shot so many free throws, uh, you know, but Sacramento definitely won, you know, they were 49 for 100 shooting at 100 field goal attempts. A hundred. I'm saying that again. They had 100 field goal attempts in 48 minutes. That's insane. And the Wolves had 82, which is about league average. Uh, You know, the Wolves did get to the free throw line 29 times, and they made 27 of them, or else this would have been a 40 point loss. Uh, But you just you can't turn the ball over that much, and you can't give up that many second chance points against a good team. And that's been the bugaboo. Not much has bitten the Wolves this year, uh, but that is a returning bugaboo from last year 
the year before, um, and so far this season, as you talked about, they're fourth worst in offensive uh, rebounding, uh, and they're fourth worst uh, offensive rebounds allowed. I'm sorry, and they're fourth worst in turnovers per game. Yep. And, um, we a little earlier we were talking about the Wolves' style, and you felt like you had now seen what their style is to win games. Yeah. Um, and then what Sacramento did in this game to kind of get them out of that style. What, what, first off, what do you feel at this point is the Timberwolves style to win? I think the Timberwolves style to win is playing through cat. Really? Um, and obviously has carte blanche to do his thing, but they're playing through cat. They're playing through Rudy. They're activating Rudy and cat. They're playing big, you know, Nas, he seems like he gets double-figure shot attempts, whether he plays 12 minutes or 25 minutes. Um, the big guys are getting the ball. Um, and then they're funneling. You know, they're trying to defend the three-point line. Obviously, a piss-poor job of that against Sacramento. But they're funneling to Rudy and and scrambling from there. And Cat's mobility and Nas's mobility, you can tell over the offseason, they put in their work and their conditioning because those guys' mobility at their size is what's allowing them to just be bigger than people. Um, and, and, you know, you say Sacramento kind of bullied them. I still feel like the Wolves just didn't really play well enough, long enough, because to me, when you take 29 free throws, you didn't really get bullied when you went to the free throw line, you know, you made 27 out of 29 free throws. Um, I just think they got outworked, especially early and especially, you know, on the boards and in transition. Sa you know, Sacramento was running at them every single chance they got. De'Aaron Fox was just nothing you could do with him type game. Um, Malik Monk, you know, he goes, what, four for four from three coming off the bench in the first half. Um, you know, so I think, you know, a couple things Sacramento did that I think are what you have to try to do against the Wolves, and Sacramento was successful at it, was you have to push pace. You have to get out and run. And they got out and ran. You know, if you, if you think about it, from the moment they went up by, what was it, 25 was their biggest lead? Mm -hmm. They went up by 13. So when the Wolves were able to stop turning the ball over and collect some rebounds, because the rebound margin evened out a little bit, you know, toward the end of the game, as did the three-point margin a little bit, um, they were able to, to do some things. So their style is really leaning into their size um, and high percentage shots. I think they're one of the leading teams in the league in field goal percentage, the Timberwolves are. Cat's return to his efficiency. Rudy's going to get high percentage shots. Um, you know, Ant's been fairly efficient this season. You know, so I think that that's their style is is, and I think their style is going to play in the playoffs because I think their style is made for a half court game. I think it's a lot harder in the playoffs to speed teams up and to beat teams down the floor and transition when guys are really focused on it when it really matters than it is to slow teams down and force teams to play the entire long game. Miami, I think, was a big example of that in the Eastern Conference last year. Come playoff time, they just made everybody play to their tempo, and they just grinded on you for three and a half quarters, and then Jimmy Butler would take over down the stretch of games, and the next thing you know, they're in the finals as an eight seed um, because they play a playoff style 
tempo-wise throughout the entire regular season, just with different types, you know, different types of personnel. Mm-hmm. And so what Sacramento did um, is they ran and ran and ran and shot and shot and shot. And when they missed, they ran down the rebounds. You know, Sacramento plays a lot like Golden State, you know, uh, except younger and more spry, you know. And so when if you think back to when the Wolves played the first Golden State game, remember how impressive it was the way they chased every action. The way they were on hip pockets, every action. They were really up in the Golden State. Uh, and we talked about how Steph Curry was the only one that was able to get off in that game because he's the Chico, right? But everybody else was pretty much on a lot because of the intensity and the effort of the Wolves defense. Well, they didn't have that same intensity and effort against Sacramento. And then they compounded that by turning the ball over sloppily. And then they compounded that even more by not tracking down rebounds and you, there was just times in that game where you could see Sacramento players were just outrunning the Wolves to where the ball was going to come down at they were already on their horse and running before the ball even hit the rim and the Wolves were standing there waiting for it to bounce off and seeing where it was going to go and by that time it was just too late yeah and I you know I think we and we've talked about this and I think that Chris Finch understands it's like the difference in this team when they are playing with their intensity and high energy versus when they're not is night and day. Um, and you, you know, he's, and again, it is an 82 game season and it's going to be hard to play every single night like that. Um, but, you know, I look back at the games before the Kings and they, you know, they played the Pelicans without Zion. They played the Knicks who they took care of and it wasn't a very emotionally uh, taxing game. Then they played the Sixers without Joel Embiid. And so if you're saying, you know, before we were talking about, you know, they just played the Warriors twice on the road. They played the Spurs. They played the Celtics and so forth and so on. And now you get to the Sacramento game and you look at the three games before that and they should have had enough rest and time to kind of regroup and come out fighting and and understanding what was on the line for that game, not only for them being in their conference, but also, you know, that NBA in-season tournament was something that you, I'm assuming most teams wanted to have a chance of winning and wanted to compete in. Um, and so for me, just watching them not come out with that intensity, the difference with this team is night and day, and that's a switch that we've talked about. You can't shut off with these guys because they need it to be successful, to be that championship caliber team. They need to be on go all the time. You're muted. You're muted. I'm sorry about that. That's where I'm okay. I'm trying not to have my sniffles all on the when you're talking. <laughs> uh, that that's why I'm. You know, the, yes, it would have been nice to be a factor in the end season tournament. But let's be honest, an 82 game season, and you're just not going to be on for 82 games. It just that's it's more or less how you bounce back from that. Uh, that really matters. And uh, I want to go back to one thing that we hadn't talked about in terms of the Sacramento game, and then we'll fast forward to tonight's Memphis game as the last game of the week, so to speak. Um, I thought the Sacramento game, and it might have something to do with Sacramento's pace, but it was the first time that it looked like Mike Connolly looked like he needed a break. Uh, (laughs) Just looked a step slow. Uh, His shot, even though he went two for three from three, uh, he missed, you know, he went two for seven overall. He, you know, and he had, he had nine assists, the one turnover, you know, three rebounds. It's like, 
you look at it and say, okay, that's a basic Mike Conley night for what he normally does for this team, except for you're playing a team where, you know, you need – when they're playing in playoff teams like that, you know, a team like Sacramento, you need a little bit more than a basic Mike Conley night, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – and so um, – you know, that was one of the first games where when I watched him move around on the floor, I was like, uh, Mike looks like he might be hitting a little bit of a wall, which is to be expected. You know, we're we're, we're 15 games in, and and uh, he's played a lot of minutes, and he's played a heavy role. He's chasing people around a lot. He's, he's using his wheels. Sacramento, like I said, they're getting up and down the court, knocking down threes. Um you know, and I think that they probably needed a little bit more out of Mike Conley in that game as well. Um, but overall, you know, it's like I said, hey, on to the next. Sacramento, tip your cap. They also played really, really well. While we're talking about what the Timberwolves didn't do, and we're talking about the things that are concerning, which are the rebounds and the turnovers, and they're going to continue to be concerning until they fix it. I also want to give Sacramento credit because they played really, really well. And that's a team with a lot of talent. They were what second seed in the in the West last year, or second or third seed for a reason, um, and and they show you know they 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 played they played on they played the A game you know for for most of that game, so you move on to Memphis and and the reason I brought up Mike Conley is because you know maybe going back to Memphis was all he needed to just kind of get a little energy boost, but he goes out there tonight and scores eighteen points on six and nine shooting from three. The fact that he took nine three pointers. Might also mean that there was a conversation about, you know, Mike, we need you to be a little bit more aggressive looking for your shot as teams are loading up on Ant because one way to get Ant, you know, a little bit of relief from teams putting two and three on him because if you've been watching, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in terms of what, you know, remember you asked last pod, what would you be saying to this team in a film session or in practice? And I talked about, you know, looking at how teams are guarding Anthony Edwards and, and getting him going. Well, I think he went, you know, 35 against Sacramento. Was it 31 against uh, Philadelphia and, you know, 24 tonight. <laughs> so I, I think they found some things. But uh, Mike Conley, you know, taking nine three-point shots, I think is uh, that's one of the solutions is he's just got to be a little bit more aggressive. And so after a really – pedestrian game against Sacramento. He comes out tonight, goes six from nine from three, 18 points, still drops 10 assists with only two turnovers. I mean, you know, it always seems like you can almost tell when Chris Finch has had a conversation with Mike Conley that kind of goes, yeah, Mike, we need you to go get yours a little bit. Teams are starting to not guard you. They're starting to to disrespect what you can do out there. Uh, you might need to remind them because they must have forgot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he goes out there and does it. That's that's leadership too. I mean, yeah. Yep. After the game, we just talked about with saying, um, said, you know, I mean, he comes out and does exactly what you just said, and um, that's a veteran leader who knows. Okay, y'all, like we, you know, I didn't watch the game, but just based off of the stats, it looks like okay, yeah, we got smacked in the mouth. Now let me get us, you know, help get us back on track here, um, and not only doing it with getting everybody else involved, but. I mean, six for nine from three. You can't you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, so he, it looks like just off the numbers, he was locked in all around, and that's you know, again, I've said before, we haven't had a point guard in Minnesota, a true point guard for a, for a long time. So um, yeah, good to have a veteran like that around. 
Um, one other thing for the Sacramento game, we just were talking about a little bit, but double teaming um, Ant, I mean, they were sending full-fledged double teams anytime he touched the ball. It wasn't, there was no waiting. I mean, they were they were forcing the ball out of his hands. Um, and that's the first time I've really seen a team commit that hard onto getting the ball out of his hands. And he didn't have time to do anything. There was two guys um, and that, and I haven't seen that before. It's that that's a new one. Well, yeah, I mean, some teams have been trapping him in in screen and roll game, going away from the hard hedge and just trapping him all together. Um, because when they hard hedge, he tends to really sprint around the corner and attack the big and make plays. So they just Sacramento went ahead and trapped him all together. Um, and I, I also think that kind of goes back to what we just talked about with Mike Conley. That's one of them things where you watch it in film and say, okay. How do we get teams to not do this? Well, Mike Conley, go ahead and kill. <laughs> you know, let's say that's one way to get teams to not do it. Um, and, and but teams have been loading up on him really in a big way, and it's been for quite a few games now. When I say loading up on him, there was one time that he came down the court in transition against Sacramento. It was like mid transition; he wasn't really a fast break, um, but he was coming across the court as the first man across with the ball. And the Wolves were still sprinting down on offense. And there was literally three players creating a three-man wall, Giannis style, in front of Anthony Edwards. And all three players were looking at him. There was six eyes on him lined up across mm-hmm. the uh, top uh, of the, the, you know, above the break on the three-point line, making sure he didn't even think about penetrating. Now, much to Ant's credit, because he has been seeing a lot of that lately, his response, especially in that second half, was, I'm just going to go through all three of you guys and put the onus on the officials to make a call. And because of that, he got to the foul line uh, 18 times. He was 17 for 18 from the foul line, which is, you know, we talk about Ant needing to draw more fouls. Uh, well, he drew fouls against Sacramento. I don't know. I, might, I I would venture to guess that had to be a career high or close to it in terms of free throw attempts in the game for Anthony Edwards because I can't think of too many times he's taken 18 free throws in a game. Um, and so, uh, but I, I like plan B better. I like the idea of getting off of it, swing, swing, and Mike Conley just being aggressive and shooting out of the corners as opposed to Ant trying to bull his way through three people consistently. Uh, because when you talk about those 18 turnovers they had against Sacramento, well, Cat had four and Ant had four. And one of the ways they can eliminate turnovers is those two guys playing not so much in traffic, trying not to force the ball through three or four people because that's where they get a lot of those turnovers. Um, so is this, you know, um, yeah, they have been trapping him off the pick and roll, but like you just said, they were, I mean, they've been, the, the, the Kings trapped him wherever he was whenever he touched the ball is that something you see teams starting to pick up and now do more of or i've seen it something where you know you try that one or two times they swing swing wide open three to mike conley in the corner is done or is that going to be a concerted effort to where ant is now getting trapped like that all the time i think all of the above i think ant's moving into that great player category where you don't want to show them any one coverage for an entire game 
I think he's moving into that category where he's going to see multiple defenders throughout a game and he's going to see multiple coverages throughout a game. And I do think some of the coverage obvious, uh, coverages he sees are going to be obviously dependent on the skill sets of the opponent, like who who's who they're playing and what type of defenders they have on that team. Um, it's going to play a part. You know, another thing that's going to play a part is um, – who else is making shots for the Timberwolves? If other guys are making shots, it makes it a lot more difficult to put all that attention ants way. If other guys are not making shots, then, you know, obviously the way to go about it is to is to force Ant to give it up as much as possible. Um and so, you know, I think that if you're Chris Finch and you look at what cost you that Memphis, I mean that Memphis, the yeah, Sacramento game and you're looking at how many turnovers your team had, and you're looking at how many of them that they had early, uh, especially along with the offensive rebounds again, and when you're fueling Sacramento's transition game, I think you have to look at eight turnovers out of 18 between Cat and Ant and say, okay, that's not sustainable. We can't have eight turnovers every night amongst our two highest usage guys why are we getting those turnovers? And I think when you look at the film, what you see is those guys playing in traffic a lot. Um, and so as a coach, you're just consistently trying to convince those guys to get off the ball and trust their teammates and trust that the ball is going to find them again in a better position with less traffic. Maybe the defense is caught in rotations. Maybe you're going to be wide open. Like what happened tonight, like we talked about. You know, um, they got off the ball. The ball swung. Um, they get a decent shot because you get a quality shot. You get a great rebound and kick out by Rudy. The ball swings to Ant. Now the defense is at disadvantage. They fly out at him. He pump fakes, steps around. He easily could have took that shot. Instead, he makes an extra pass to Cat, who easily could have took that shot. But because they got the defense in scramble mode in a bad way, Cat turns it down and hits Mike Conley in his sweet spot in the corner with, with nobody within 20 feet of him. You know, that's what happens when they get off the ball early. Not only do they get an opportunity to get clean looks for themselves, they get an opportunity to create clean looks for their teammates. And also they get an opportunity to offensive rebound because one of the reasons why the Wolves struggle in offensive rebounding is because they're getting caught in scramble a lot. And when you're scrambling, it's really hard to put bodies on people because the offense is always moving when the defense is always scrambling. And it's hard to box out a moving player. And so little things, little things that that as a coach, you know, all of these little things add up to either problems or solutions. Right. And to, you know, for Ann Cat to lower those turnovers to get off the ball. You know, that's going to require, like we just said, Mike Conley tonight doing his thing, but it's going to require other people to be able to knock down shots um, and to to get some buckets on their own. And the Timberwolves are not, I mean, relatively to where they're sitting standing-wise, they're not a high-scoring team. No, Uh, A lot of that is coming from Ant and coming from Cat and then a sprinkle in of one or two other guys, you know, random different guys every night. Um, and you know, one of the people we talked about off podcast that we were, we've talked about a couple of times, but it's shake Milton, um, and, and having some expectations for him coming into the year to give them some more scoring off the bench. Um, 
and that hasn't really happened. And over the past two games, his minutes have gone down significantly, and Troy Brown Jr.'s have increased um, in hopes that he's able to give them a little more offense and fill the flow because it seems like Shake Milton is having issues um, finding his his rhythm and flow in the offense. Yeah, and I think what they're starting to go to is kind of just more Kyle Anderson at the point, uh, more Nikhil at the point when Mike Conley is out of the game, um, shake a little more off the ball in the minutes he plays. He plays 17 minutes tonight, but to your point, Troy Brown played 18 minutes tonight. And if you're not going to get what you need out of shake, then you have to figure out how you can get other things in other places. And so Shake Brown, Shake Shake Brown, <laughs> I think Shake Milton and Troy Brown now, um, you know, what they thought they were going to get out of Shake was scoring and playmaking. Um, and they're not really getting either out of him right now. And um, more concerning, you're starting to get some, what I call frustration turnovers out of shape where you're just not feeling your game. Everything just seems like, Mm -hmm. like you're not really sure what you're trying to accomplish. And that's when you start turning the ball over. Um, And then, you know, so what can you get from Troy Brown Jr. When you're not getting what you thought you were going to get out of shake Milton, when you say, well, the boards are killing us. Okay. Troy Brown Jr. Comes in and gets rebounds. He had four of them tonight in 18 minutes. Uh, he had a number of rebounds. I think he had uh, seven in 25 minutes last Sacramento. Yeah, seven. Yeah. So, you know, say, okay, well, mm-hmm. if we're not going to get what we thought we were going to get out of Shake Milton, then maybe Troy Brown can bring us some shooting because they also thought they were going to get shooting out of Shake Milton and they're not getting shooting out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and so shooting and rebounding. And then, you know, you say, okay, well, let's, Let's see what we can get. You know, plus with Jaden Hurt, with Jaden Hurt, it opens up playing time for Troy Brown Jr. anyway, right? It opens up that next spot in the rotation. And so, you know, ultimately, okay, Troy Brown, two for four from three, four rebounds, 18 minutes. You know, if that's – and and he's playing solid defense. So with Troy Brown, you get a better defender, a better rebounder, um, and you still got to figure out the playmaking anyway because you're not getting the playmaking you thought you were going to get from Shake Milton. So that's Kyle Anderson to kill, uh, you know, to kill Alexander Walker led the team in minutes tonight with 37. You know, Kyle Anderson's back up to play in 25 minutes. And one of the reasons why I think is because of the struggles of Shake Milton. So now you need more Kyle Anderson playing point guard, you need more Nikhil playing point guard, as well as his duties as, you know, de facto small forward slash wing in the starting lineup without Jaden. So Nikhil has just been he's been a godsend, you know. Yeah, shout, shout out shout out to him. He, he has been playing really freaking well. Uh, yes. Clutch clutch. He's been very clutch too. He's knocking down timely timely shots when the team really needs him and they don't I mean, like we just said, you look outside of Ken and, 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 you know, we don't, Mike Conley, yeah, we want him to be able to score and what he did, if he can do what he did tonight, every night, then that'd be amazing. But we also want Mike Conley, the facilitator and not have to force him to look to score the ball. 
Um, and so Nikhil Alexander-Walker has, you know, really stepped in since Jaden McDaniel has gone down and has been playing really well. Yep, I, I agree. And he hasn't shot great, but like you said, he just seems, seems to make timely, important three-point baskets. Mm-hmm. And he did it again tonight. You know, you, the Memphis is rolling. They cut a 25-point lead down to 12. You come out of a timeout. You run some action. They move the ball. You get Nikhil Alexander wide open in the, sl- in the slot, and he knocks it down. And, you know, that stems the run. All of a sudden it goes from 12 to 15. And, you know, as a player, man, when you make a big run, the thing that deflates you the most is when the other team comes down and hits a three. Oh, right. that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, I – over the last 10 games, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is shooting 41% from three. So um, I'd beg to differ that he hasn't been shooting the ball that well. Um, he's still over the last 10 games? 50% from the field and 41% from three. Okay, well, I, I stand corrected. I, yeah, he, I, maybe he's I'm, been I'm remembering much, more misses than not paying enough attention to the bait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like you said, he's a, he's he's been a godsend. He's he's been huge for this team. Um defensively as well. I mean, he's he's locking flying around doing his best to lock people up. Um he's he's been much needed in, you know, that Sacramento gang that Sacramento game, um, you know, Jaden McDaniels is a huge factor in this team. And when you're going up against teams like that, um, that are giving you everything they got, plus they have talent, you're going to need your old team to to uh, to win a lot of those games. So that's another factor on, you know, them losing that game. They are missing a key contributor to this basketball team. Yeah, I still don't think it would have mattered. But, yes, I agree. <laughs> I think I think it was just Sacramento's day. I really do. That's why I wasn't even like I. I there was no you know, other than the fact that I watched the game. It was like, oh well, that sucks. <laughs> you know, other than that, I just didn't have a reaction. I was just like, yeah, this is one of them games in the eighty-two game season where the other team plays better than you. I think it, I think it hurts me more than anything just because it's the dang in-season tournament. And when I see that name underneath it, I'm like, I wanted to win that one. Yeah, I th- you know I think they did too, but they just right. they had a ba- they picked a bad time to lay for the most part an egg. I think it meant a lot to Ant. I think Ant played like it really meant a lot to him in terms of how he tried to will his team to stay mm-hmm. in that game. But um, and I think Cat's just been we haven't talked much about Cat, but he did it again tonight. You know, eighteen points. In 26 minutes on seven of eleven, seven of eleven shooting, um, he also did it again in terms of four more turnovers in 18 in 26 minutes. Yep. You know, something that we keep talking about, but eight rebounds. Yeah, you know, I eight think the one thing we want to watch about tonight is we talked about Mike Conley playing really well, and you know, a couple things. Um, Finch may have left him out there because he clearly had it rolling from three. If he shot six and nine. But he played 32 minutes tonight, and it's getting to the point where Mike Conley, they he's almost to the point where it's scary when they take him off the floor. And that's not what you want out of your 36-year-old point guard. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Shake Milton doesn't get it together here, and depending on how, you know, how they hold the fort without Jordan McLaughlin, I wonder if they don't at some point in time as we get toward the end of December, make a move and try to bring in somebody who can play that backup point guard position because um, either Shake's got to come out of this rut or they got to come up with a plan 
because you can't burn Mike Conley out before January 1st. Shake, Shake was playing two guard for the Sixers, right? He wasn't a player. Uh, he played combo guard. Okay. He was a combo guard. And I think they brought him over here to be, I wouldn't call him a point guard. I'd call him a lead guard. I think they brought him over here to use him in much the way they used Jalen Noel last year in terms of putting the ball in his hands and allowing him to play out a screen and roll game and make plays from there. But what I'm seeing from Shake Milton that I didn't expect to see is just an overall lack of explosiveness. I mean, he's not super quick or super fast, but he seemed when I watched him in Philly to be more explosive. And I don't know if that's indecisiveness or if there's something physically not quite right with him, but he just doesn't seem to create much separation and his shot seems to be flat a lot. And that, you know, to me speaks to legs. Um, And I don't know the answer, but it just seems like he doesn't have legs. Yeah, I, I, from my viewpoint, it's the indecisive factor. Um, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and how I was just saying that, you know, this team has been together since last year. They have a flow, and he's just trying to find his way how he can fit in. Um, but, you know, we're now 15 games in, 16 games in, and if anything, I feel like it's gotten a little worse. Um, he had a couple game stretch I think about a week a week and a half ago where he looked like he was starting to find the rhythm and now it looks like it's reverted and it has gotten worse and yeah his shot man I <laughs> I'm, I don't think I've ever seen an NBA shot that's flatter than his uh, yeah it looks really flat it does, it, not, it does not get above the rim yeah and his elbow seems to be low and he seems to be I know this is that's shooter speak for real people listening probably <laughs> nothing that got to do with anything trust me it matters <laughs> you know, uh, his elbow seems to be a little bit low, his shot's a little bit flat, and he just doesn't seem to have any lift. Whether he's going to the basket or whether he's rising up to shoot the, the three ball, it just seems like he doesn't have any legs. And I agree with you that, you know, it could be indecisiveness and uncertainty, and there's nothing worse as a player. I've been there, oh, my God, my entire junior year in college, it was a train wreck. There's nothing worse than when you're indecisive and your shot's not falling. Because yeah. your shot's falling and you're indecisive, you're at least like, yeah, I might not be certain, but I'm getting buckets <laughs> out here. When your shot's not falling and you're indecisive, it's a miserable experience as a basketball player. Yeah, no, it's not fun. And it's, 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 I mean, you're watching the minutes decrease and, and it's evident that, you know, they need him to figure it out or they're going to try to find new solutions because. Um, it, it definitely is a position that needs to be filled. Um, so the Grizzlies tonight, we got the W119 to 97. Uh, we play the Thunder on Tuesday in our final in-season tournament game at home. Um, that should be a, a really good game. I think that's a matchup that the Timberwolves are um, – they're kind of similar in a sense. Um, they both have size. They both have – Really athletic and quick guards, um, and Shea Gilgis Alexander and Anthony Edwards, and then Chet's coming home for his uh, uh, first game as a as a professional basketball player, getting to play in front of his his hometown. So I'm sure he's going to come with a lot of energy as well. Yeah, now this is a game where I say you really miss Jaden McDaniel's mm-hmm. for a couple reasons. One, Jaden gives Josh Giddy fits. There's probably nobody more giddy <laughs> that Jaden McDaniels is not playing 
than Josh Giddy. He gives he gives him nightmares. Um, we know what Nikhil Alexander Walker was able to do against his cousin Shea Gillis uh, Alexander um, in the playing game. Uh, for some reason, I think Shea has this game marked on his uh, <laughs> calendar because it's one thing when you get totally clamped up and locked down in a single game elimination situation like the playing game. It's even worse when your family does it to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, like, like you know, anybody out there who has siblings that y'all played in the driveway, you know, and they grew up close as cousins. So you know, they grew up playing against each other. You know, Naw has been talking smack all summer <laughs> and fall long. Yeah, you might have been first team all NBA, but you wasn't the night that you had to get guarded by me. You know, <laughs> you know the smack talk. And you, you look, we're father, son. You know what it was like having to deal with me and how angry you would get mm-hmm. when you couldn't come up with that dub against me. You <laughs> already know Shay is chomping at the bit to get back at, at his cousin. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a very entertaining game for, for many reasons. Um, and it, it has a lot of implications, too. I mean, OKC yeah. is 11 and 5 right now. Timberwolves yep. are 12 and 4. Um, both these teams are young, young. I mean, we're, I think we have a little, uh, we have actually a lot more, uh, uh, years behind us. We are more a veteran team compared to the OKC, but, um, there's, there's going to be a lot of energy surrounding this game. Um, and, and I'm excited for it. And again, I think they match up really well together. Um, I think that's a more, uh, fundamental, I mean, they're both. Both very talented the team. If, if the Timberwolves can do what they we've just talked about and and get their offensive rebounds and and not turn the ball over, I think that they you know they have more talent and should be able to win this game. But um, it's going to be up in the air. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of personal stuff going on out there. I mean, one Oklahoma City's obviously going to feel a certain way about getting smashed in the playing game. Um, Lou Dort always tries to make his defensive name going up against Anthony Edwards. Uh, we already talked about Shea and Naw and and probably a little bit of uh, you know, personal vendetta from Shea uh toward his cousin. Um, you know, I think Kat and Chet, uh, you know, Chet's kind of the new prototype, big, stretch the floor, you know. Um, and I think Kat's like, you know, I'm I'm the original. And so I think there's going to be a little bit of something to prove there. Um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be a barn burner. I think the X factor for Oklahoma city is um, going to be, um, uh, uh, why I'm drawing a blank on his name, Jalen um, Williams. Williams. Thank you. Uh, and then I think, you know, the X factor for the Timberwolves, I think is going to be Rudy. Um, uh, I think that Oklahoma City still doesn't have anybody that can match up with Rudy. So can Rudy dominate defensively in the paint? Can Rudy dominate defensively on the boards in terms of all the stuff that's not bouncing over his head? Um, and can can uh, and can Rudy do kind of what he did to Wimby, which is if Chess going to guard Rudy, he has to take advantage of the fact that you know. We might be the same height. You might even have an inch or so on me, but I've got 50 pounds on you, and I'm going to seal you underneath the basket and turn around and pound on your head every chance I get. Um, 
one of the things I will say is that Rudy impressed me when he got matched up on Wimbin Yaba in terms of his ability to move his feet and cover on the perimeter. He impressed me when he matched up with Christos Porzingis and his ability to move his feet and contest on the perimeter when they played against Boston. So if Rudy ends up matching up on Chet, I do think that Rudy has shown that he can move his feet with these guys, keep them in front, and make life difficult for them on the perimeter. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Wolves play coverage-wise if they put Rudy in screen and roll because you can't really afford to play drop against Chet the way he's shooting the three this season. And it's probably not a good idea to play drop against Shea anyway because he's such a mid-range assassin. Uh, so I think one of the things will be that we'll have to really watch is what do they do in terms of their defensive coverage in the half court? And then obviously if they turn the ball over and Oklahoma City gets out in transition, it's not going to matter what they do defensively in the half court. We know Oklahoma City is going to try to follow the Sacramento Kings blueprint and push it at the Wolves off the opening tip every chance that they get using them young legs and them young athletes and try to uh, make it a track meet. Will the Wolves be more prepared for that in the first quarter against Oklahoma City than they were against Sacramento. Because we, we can pretty much be assured it's not going to happen is they're not going to win by the 40-plus points that they need to win by <laughs> in order to qualify as a wild card for the end-season tournament. So yeah. let's just focus on winning the game. And again, <laughs> that's going to be really a difficult, difficult win. And, you know, I think this is one of those games where you miss Jaden for two reasons. One, because I think Nall coming off the bench fresh um, after Jaden gets a chance to wear on some guys, whether that's Shea or Josh Giddy, I think matters. Um, and then so you miss that depth piece. Um, and then also just his ability to take away either one of those guys or make life miserable on either one of those guys. Um, I think matters because I don't think you can let both of those guys get it rolling if you're going to beat Oklahoma City. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, OKC just played uh, Philly, and yeah. they lost 123-127. Yeah. Um, but Chet had 33, and he shot 5 for 11. He shot 11 three-pointers in this game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's you know very similar with having Joel Embiid guarding him. It looks like he's going to be stretching the floor and yeah. giving him the green light to just shoot as many times as they don't come out and guard you. And he's knocking them down. I think he's shooting over forty percent on the season from the three point line. So it's not that it's not just you know that's part of the game plan. Is is Chet right now is proven to be one of the better three point shooters in the league, and and that's a problem. You know that's that's a that's an issue because again we talked about. You know, you have to figure out how to deal with Shea first and foremost. And, you know, if Chet's popping, that's leaving a lot of paint uncovered, you know. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Wolves do with their coverages. And does that make Cat more of a rim protector, you know, because Rudy has to stay home. And then who do you put Cat on? Do you put Cat on Lou Dork, for example, and say, you know what? We're going to we're going to force Lou Dork to make shots to beat us because Cat's going to be in the paint helping against Shea, and we're going to force Shea to kick out the Dork, and we're going to see if Dork can make three-pointers at a high percentage because he's not a very good three-point shooter traditionally. But it always seems like those 25% guys seem to find a way to go four for seven against the 
You know, well, he is in the NBA, so he's got a. Right. And he's, he's not a center, so he should be able to shoot the ball a little bit. If, if you don't, at least contest. If Cat doesn't get back out and contest, you know, so it's going to be a big effort game from Cat if that's the way that they go. Because I don't think you can put him on Jalen Williams and make him be the guy that you want to force the ball to. Um, I think it has to be Dort, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, how they match up. And the Sixers out-rebounded OKC by 11, um, and they won by four. So I'm sure that had a big part um, in that win. So the Timberwolves are definitely going to need to rebound the ball. Um, They're going to have more size, even though Chet Chet will be down there. Um, They they should be able to out-rebound, which should help them try to find a W. It's all Um, on the guards and wings because we know, like you said, Chet took 11 threes. You know Jalen Williams is going to take threes. You you know you know those guys are going to shoot the ball when they're open or when they're semi open. You know those long shots are going to lead to long rebounds. It's going to be on Ant. It's going to be on Naw. It's going to be on Mike. It's going to be on Kyle. It's going to be on Troy Brown. It's going to be on Shake Milton. It's going to be on those guys to track the ball while it's in the air um, and get to those spots where the ball is going to come down after checking off. You know, hitting guys. After we find a way to beat the Thunder, we got the Jazz on Thursday, followed by the Hornets on Saturday before we get back together for another podcast. Two games which, if you look at record-wise, the Timberwolves should be able to, again, find a way to win. Um, And hopefully we come back here uh, next week. And the Timberwolves are, let's see, if they win all three, they'd be 15-4 and at worst. Hopefully they're 14-5. and Yeah, the Hornets game scares me. Um, and and then that game scares me for a few reasons. One, because Lamelo always seems to light the Wolves up, and he's on a heater right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been playing outstanding lately. Even though Charlotte necessarily hasn't been winning, they've been playing better of late, and Lamelo's a big reason for that. And so that game scares me, and the, re- the reason why that game scares me even more so is because when you look at what's coming up after that, you got to go at New Orleans, and you're not going to get lucky and not see Zion for a third straight time. So you can pretty much count on that being a really tough game. And then you got to go to Dallas, and you're dealing with Kyrie and Luka. And again, with no Jaden McDaniels, that activates Luka because he is the Luka nightmare matchup for Luka. And if Luka's looking at Minnesota and not having to see Jaden McDaniels, he's probably licking his chops. And then you got to come back and deal with the Indiana team that's capable of putting up points as well as anybody in the entire NBA. And then behind them, you're dealing with Miami on the road in a game in which you're pretty sure Jimmy Butler is going to play. So on one hand, you say you got to find a way to home court, hold home court against Oklahoma City. you got to handle your business at home against Utah. That Charlotte game is sneaky. You can't let that game get away from you because losing to Charlotte can very easily turn into a three or four game losing streak. Um, and so you have to really be locked in and focused against Oklahoma City. You have to handle business against Utah. And then you have to treat Charlotte like they're one of the upper echelon teams in the league. you got to go get that one because you could play really well against New Orleans with Zion and lose. You could play really well against Dallas on the road and lose. And then, you know, you could play well against Indiana or let me rephrase that. If you don't play defense well against Indiana, they're going to put up 130 piece on you. And then, you know, you got to go to Miami 
And depending on which Miami team decides to show up and play, that game could go either way. So you got to handle your business next week um, in, in, in the home games, and then you got to go to Charlotte and figure out how to solve the uh, mellow ball riddle and come out of there with a W. I agree with all of those things. Um, just to put it in perspective, after that Hornets games, the Timberwolves played 10 straight teams that all have winning records. Yeah, remember you were talking about the schedule. <laughs> you said the schedule, look at the upcoming schedule. Look, on the flip side, here's the thing that you can also say about that. There's not a team in the NBA that's not looking at the schedule going, geez. There's not a fan base that's not looking at the schedule going, God dang, when do we get a week where it's like Portland twice, the Wizards and Utah and San Antonio? Like, when's that week coming? <laughs> you know, but those weeks don't exist in the NBA this year. So, yeah, I just went out a little further and uh, it's actually 16 teams in a row without a, without a losing record. I mean, there's not a lot of teams in the NBA with losing records right now. Yeah, so. there's not. But I will say this. If they can make it through that 16-game stretch, we find that week. We find that week because then we play four teams that are 4-12, and 7-8, and 2-14, and 3-13. and 13. So if we can make it through 16 games, we'll find four where we should be able to take a breather. Well, and I know we got to get going, so I'll say these two things. Remember in our season preview episode, we talked about how this season is going to be about those teams that can put together a seven-game winning streak, maybe two or three of them throughout the season, or an eight-game winning streak and a seven-game winning streak, you know, and then another stretch where you win five out of six, you <laughs> know, and then you play 500 the rest of the way. Well, you know, it sounds kind of morbid to think about, but you just talked about they play 16 straight teams with a better than 500 record. As it sits right now, they're sitting at 12 and four, right? Mm-hmm. So they're eight games out of five, eight, eight games over 500. If they can play 500 basketball during that stretch, and then you say they got a stretch where they play five straight teams or whatever, four straight teams that are in the bottom, you know, of the league. Yep. Well, if you can play 500 basketball during that eight and eight during that 16 game stretch, and then come back and hit up another seven game winning streak, yeah, all of a sudden you're looking up and you're 15 games over 500, you know, in and at the halfway point of the season basically, and you know, 15 games over 500, that's 49 wins if you play 500 the rest of the season, yeah, you know, so that's you know. That's why we're saying to fans, this start was really important and you can't get too high and you can't get too low because there are going to be stretches where you say, oh, man, the Wolves are only playing 500 basketball. They backslid. Well, no, they're just playing 16 straight really, really good teams this year's NBA. 16 straight. That's that's a lot. It's a month and a half. Yeah. And so, quality so, basketball. So, you know, my outlook is if we come out of that month and a half and still be eight games over 500, we might not be in first place, but we'll probably be in the top three or four and only a couple games out of first place because mm-hmm. nobody else is, you know, everybody else is playing the same team. They're playing the same schedule, maybe not in succession, but they're playing the same teams. And so, you know, you come out of that stretch and all of a sudden you win five in a row because you play against five teams that are, you know, down a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you're 
back up to 13 games over 500. You know, if you lose one and then you win another four in a row, next thing, (laughs) you know, 16 games over 500 going into the All-Star break or something like that. I'm not sure the exact number of games we're talking about, but you kind of get my point. Like, Yeah, it's funny. I just looked at, you know, I'm just going off of what you're saying about these winning streaks. So, I, you know, following the 16 games, we actually have seven out of eight games are teams that are under 500 after this 16 game stretch. So like you're saying, if you can go exactly what you're saying, if you can go eight and eight over the 16 game stretch at a minimum, hopefully they can pull out more wins than that. But if you at least can play 500, um, then you, you have seven of eight games after that, where you should be able to, if you're still, if the wolves are still playing at this high of a level, you should be able to come out six and six and two, seven and one. Yeah, and I say you got to go for seven to one. Really, you want to go for eight? No, there's your second eight game winning streak right there. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you look up and you're, you know, you're Still you're, number one seed, <laughs> sixteen games over five hundred, and in first place in the West. Yeah, you know, so that's how you got to look at it. Also, want to say happy birthday to your boy, who you've been who you've been waiting on to show up, Leonard Miller. Yeah, today. The birthday boy got in the game tonight. He played a whole whopping two minutes, and in his two minutes, he had two points, two rebounds, and an assist. Hey, so, I got said, the moment he gets his opportunity, that boy's going to shine. <laughs> and I personally, you know, this early in the season, but him and him and Jaden McDaniels are about the same size. They that might not a little longer. You said Jaden's a little longer. Maybe. Well, you okay. well, they're 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 similar enough for me to say, you know what? Let's just put them in there, swap them real quick, and see if he can do something similar. Yeah, I well, we're not he, in practice every day. <laughs> I'm not in practice, and he is a rookie. But hey, he's, he's look, he got in the game tonight. Did what he did last time. He got in the game. He did what he did preseason. Did what he did. G League did what he did. So just give him his shot, man. He's gonna do something. We talked about it on the last podcast that this is a league of opportunity. Yeah. And his opportunity is definitely going to come. I mean, he's realistically, I think in the rotation, he's one Nas Reed injury away from getting that opportunity. Well, let's knock on wood, first of all. <laughs> uh, we don't want that. Um, but, yeah, you, you look, if somebody gets injured, somebody next man up. Yeah. He's got to step up. So, um, All right. We've had a good conversation. I enjoyed talking with you, recapping the week and kind of talking about what needs to happen going forward. That was me throwing yeah. back to you. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I was I was still looking at these schedules. I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. This is, you know, I've been watching religiously. I shouldn't even say religiously, but I've been watching Timberwolves basketball for the last probably really only the last five years. I mean, I, I was in school doing my own basketball thing. You know, I'd started a business. I got a lot going on. But over the last five years, I've been really able to watch. Um, and, you know, there's really been no reason to watch the Timberwolves before that since Kevin Garnett had left. So there's, you know, for me, this is this is exciting and it's fun. And on top of watching them and seeing them excel like this, I'm also able to talk about it with you on a podcast. So, um, you know, it's it's fun time right now watching watching these wolves and um, you know, I I don't know when have they ever been top seed in the West this time of year? No. Is this so this is well, I the, take that back. I take that back. I think the year that they went to the Western Conference Finals where they finished with the number one seed, um, 
they they may have been in first place this late in the season. But I think this is the first time since that year that they were in first place this late in the season. And that's going back to the season where, you know, they, they entered the series with the Lakers. They were rolling and then Sam Cassell does the big ball celebration and Troy Hudson's got a shredded ankle. And then next thing you know, they're out there playing against Kobe and Shaq with their third string point guard and the rest is history. All right. Lost their best chance to win an NBA championship that year. Um, But yeah, this is, uh, and even that, you know, that was, that was like an amazing run, but you knew if KG or Sam or Spree got hurt, that was pretty much that, right? This year, it just seems like this team has so much talent. We've identified they have weaknesses, but if your weaknesses are getting to loose balls and being secure with the ball as you develop your offensive rhythm, because they still haven't hit that offensive stride yet, um, and and we're only 16 games in, if they can figure it out, you know, and they don't have a lot of time like you just talked about, they got about a month and a half where they got to be pretty much on every night or they're going to get waxed, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But if they come out of that stretch feeling really good about themselves, um, then you might that might be the catalyst of something that can really, you know, now if they can come out of that, let's say they come out of that stretch nine and seven, then you might be looking at a team that really has a radar lock on the number one seed in the West. Uh, if they come out of that stretch nine and seven, you know, even something crazy or 10 and six or whatever, um, the league's in trouble. Yeah. Well, it was hysteria. I'm glad, I'm glad to be able to see this and partake in it and be able to watch it and critique it and have the wisdom that I have now to be able to see, um, past just the score at the end of the game. Man, you have been tuned in to the coach in the culture podcast, AKA coach Frank and son. I am Coach Frank. You've been listening also to Lance Gardner, proprietor of Yes Trees. It's not too late to get your tree work handled. Uh, It's the perfect time of year, according to Lance, to if not get something done, to get it on the schedule. Uh, By the way, speaking of which, off uh, off subject, I sent sent somebody your information today that uh, hit me up wanting to get a hold of you about some tree work. So hopefully they'll do that this week. Uh, congratulations on all your business success. We got the super producer Lloyd Leon Coop in the background. He stayed awake through the whole podcast. Either that or he took a went and took a nap and came back to us. I'm not sure which one, but uh, <laughs> he's like he's a wide awake back there. He's looking at me like, bro, okay, bro. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna get you one of these days. It probably won't I, be with his. It's not going to be with his mouth, but he's going to do something to get you. Oh, I know. He's going to sneak up on me on the Timberwolves game and hit me in the <laughs> back of the head. He's going to get me. All right, uh, Twin Cities and around the globe. Um, check us out on Twitter or X, whatever they call it now. Uh, check us out on uh, on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Leave us a message. Let us know how you think we are doing. Let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about or uh, somehow, some way that you can think of that we can make this show a better listening experience for you. Uh, We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, on YouTube with video coming up shortly. So please continue to follow us. Subscribe where you can subscribe. Follow where you can follow. We are the Coach and the Culture Podcast. Peace. Peace.